This is lesson number six. First lesson was the cornerstone of life. That was reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lesson number two was the existence of God. And I can't re-talk about these or we'll never get tonight's lesson done. Number three was the reliability of the Bible. Each one of these, by the way, is building on itself. And you'll see that as we go into this sixth one. Number four, the deity of Jesus Christ. Uh, a foundational doctrine of, of, of our faith is the fact that Jesus Christ is, the, is God. He is the Son of God. And then number five was the biblical account of creation. The biblical account of creation. That leads us into tonight's lesson. If you have the notes, then you see the title of it is The Sanctity of Life. The Sanctity of Life. Genesis 1.26, God's Word says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Not the lesson for tonight, but he created male and female. That's something to take note of. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Earlier in our series, we used the illustration of corrective lenses. Corrective lenses. I have corrective lenses on here tonight, and they are progressive corrective lenses even. I need that little bottom half to be able to read better. And so we, we use that as an illustration when it comes to our worldview. So let's remember, what are we looking through to formulate our worldview? That's really the key. If you're looking through the news, you're not going to have the, the worldview that a Christian ought to have. Because the news isn't going to have a worldview that's biblical. If you're looking through uh, a, a website, you know, on, on current events or, or the CBC or whoever, whoever, whatever you want to you wanna name, that's not something that's talking about the Bible, it's not going to give us the biblical worldview. It really depends on the lenses that we're looking through. And we talked about that extensively. So another analogy that we can make is a frame around a window. A frame around a window. The view outside the window may change as the seasons change. People pass by. The view is adjusted through new building construction. But the frame itself does not move. It provides a consistent vantage point for the viewer. The window may get dirty. Again, it could get snowy and rainy and so forth. But the frame around the window is the same. So my worldview or my window frame is always built by multiple factors. So my lens or my frame can be built by all sorts of things. It could be the culture around me could affect my worldview. It does affect my worldview, quite frankly. Uh, Also, what could affect my worldview is the family that I was reared in. That definitely affects our worldview. It could be for the good or it could be for the bad as well. Uh, it could be the education that I received that will affect or be the window frame. It could be the dominant voices that have spoken into my life. And it could also be just different personal experiences that we all face and we all come to. They are the framing, the framework. They are the lenses 
of how we get our worldview. Let's remember this statement. Everyone's personal worldview is limited and fallible. My personal worldview is limited and fallible in and of myself. It's limited and fallible. So if I'm going to say, this is my worldview because I came up with it, that's limited. That's fallible. How do I know it's fallible? Because the Bible says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So that means my worldview in and of myself is, it's fallible. It's limited. But the very moment that I say the Bible is where I find my worldview, the Bible is the lens, the Bible is the frame, then the Bible is what provides something that is complete. The Bible provides something that is perfect. The Bible provides something that is uh, eternal, never changes. Things change, don't they? I can tell you in only my short time of being a pastor, since the year 2001, when I became a pastor until now, a lot has changed in our world. But I'm so thankful that every time I open up the Word of God, it's never changed. It's still like it was when I was a boy reading it. It's still like it was when I was in Bible college reading it. It's still like it was 21 years ago when I was reading it. And and you know what? The, The best thing is, it's changing me. The Bible is changing me. And I hope for the better, amen, from the inside out. And so that's got to be our framework. So because of this, I must build my worldview or my window frames or my lenses from the truths, as we heard just a moment ago, of the Word of God. Now, what is it we're discussing tonight? Or what is it we're teaching about tonight? We're looking at the the area of human life, and specifically, the life of the unborn. The life of the unborn. Now, let's remember a couple of things by way of introduction. Number one, we must remember that truth always matters. Truth always matters. You know what doesn't matter? This might offend you, but I'm not saying it to offend you. My feelings do not matter. I might feel one way or another way about something, but if it's against the truth, truth is what matters. Not what I feel. Now, the idea is that I would allow the Holy Spirit of God to bring me to truth. And that I would say from my heart, yes, that is, I believe that to be true. But whether you or I believe something to be true doesn't change the fact that truth always matters. Secondly, not only does truth matter, but tone matters. T-O-N-E, tone matters. What do you mean, pastor? This is what I mean. It's possible to hold a biblical position and yet communicate it in a way that is difficult for others to receive. We don't have to be caustic when we give truth. In fact, Paul said how we're supposed to speak the truth. How did he say? Do you remember? In love. That's how Paul said to speak the truth. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 15. But speaking the truth in love. So truth matters, but right along beside that, so also does tone. Tone matters. 
There's no doubt in my mind that abortion is a difficult topic. There might be someone here tonight, there might be someone online tonight that has personally experienced in some way abortion. Possibly a family member, possibly a friend. And so that's why it is important that we study and declare the truth of what God's Word says, and we declare it in such a way, we communicate it in such a way that it doesn't come from a heart of, 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 uh, of being caustic, but a heart of being compassionate. But again, I submit to you that truth matters. We don't throw out the truth because it offends someone. We don't throw out the truth. I don't throw out the truth because it offends me. I, you know, I need the truth. Truth sets me free. And so, the voice of God is clearer. The voice of God is more truthful than any other voice we can hear. So, we're going to look at three truths tonight regarding human life. So, if you have your notes, now we're getting into the actual outline. That was all the introduction. Number one, number one, we are formed in God's image. We are formed in God's image. Human life is created in the image of God. We read that earlier in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. This is the most important truth that the Bible teaches about life. You are not formed in anyone's image but God. This is why we call it the sanctity of life. So what does this mean to be created in the image of God? Well, if you have your Bible, we're going to go to John chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse number 24. Because here it says something about God that kind of, it doesn't contradict, but it kind of, we kind of wonder, if we're created in the image of God, then what about what this verse says? Because in John 4, 24, it says, God is the Spirit. Well, none of us in here tonight, you know, I, I see a bunch of bodies in here tonight. Okay? I mean, we do have the trichotomy. We do have body, soul, and spirit. All right? But God is, a, God is a spirit, that, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So what is the Bible not talking about? Well, firstly, it's not talking about his physical characteristics. It's not talking about his physical characteristics. Rather, it's talking about we are created in the image of God in immaterial ways. In immaterial ways. We have a soul and spirit, as I mentioned a moment ago. This gives us the capacity to have a relationship with God. Letter A, human life has sacred value. Sacred value. Because I'm made in the image of God, because you're made in the image of God, your life has sacred value. What does the word sacred mean? It's a, it originates in the Latin language, and it means belonging to God. Belonging to God. Now think about it. You and I, we own things that have value or significance to us. But only something that belongs to God is worthy of being designated sacred. I don't know if you've ever done spring cleaning and you've come across things and, and you thought, man, I haven't seen this in years. Let's, let's just get rid of it. I don't know if you're the hoarder or if you are the... Um, Get rid of it. What is that person called? <laughs> I don't know what they're called. Probably uh, wise. <laughs> I'm not the wise one <laughs> in our home. I'm the, no, 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 we can't throw that away. I can tell you why we can't throw that away. I can give you 10 reasons why we can't throw that away. And I'll even give them to you in an alliterated outline. We've got to save that. Not quite that bad. 
but I'm the hoarder. But you know what? All of those things, in recent days, I've come across many of them, and uh, I look at them, and man, they've got great value, but they're not sacred. They're not sacred. Even that baseball that I got in Little League, and that's, that's pretty special. You know? Even better than that, that baseball that I got at a Detroit Tigers game when I was a teenager. I mean, that's not sacred. But I don't want to get rid of it. But we're made in the image of God. What does that mean? It means we have sacred value. It's not like a baseball. It's not like your, your favorite whatever at home. I mean, you have sacred value. We are made in the image of God. All creation belongs to God, but he places special value on your life and on mine, on human life. He said in verse 28 of our text, God blessed them. Who did he bless? Adam and Eve. He didn't bless the critters in the same way that he blessed Adam and Eve. He told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and so forth. Why are we so important and significant to God? Why is it that we have this sacred value? Because we have a living soul. We have a living soul. Genesis 1.20, Genesis 2.7, Genesis 2.7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The soul that God created within us is what sets us apart from animals and makes us sacred to God. What is a soul then? All right. Psalm 103 verse 1. Psalm 103 verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Our soul is what makes us a unique creation by God. We alone, as human beings, are able to reflect some of the character of God. Think of that. We can love people. Why can we love people? Because God is love. We learned this morning in a couple of different ways. It wasn't really the preaching, but it was how God preached during the during the opening scripture reading from Micah and one of our hymns that we sang, that God is a God of mercy. Do you know that we can have mercy on people because we've been created in the image of God? That's what gives us sacred value. Love and mercy. Justice and compassion. Now, our ability to reflect the characteristics of God is limited, though. It's limited, though. Because of our humanity. This is what sets us apart. Now, it's sacred as well because human life originates from God. Again, I said this this morning. Your life, something similar to this, your life is not an accident. Your life is special to God. Again, because it's, you are created. I have been created in the image of God. We are no, there, there are no accidents in this room tonight. There's no accidents joining us online. Your life is not simply matter in motion. It is not a random process of evolution. We talked about creation a few weeks ago. No, you are a special creation of God. Quickly, two verses. Job 33, 4 says, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. 
That's you tonight. That's me. Psalm 36, 9, for with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. I came across an article in preparing for this lesson that spoke about this subject of abortion. A gentleman wrote a book called The Death of Ethics. His name is Carl, excuse me, Cal Thomas. He did a survey in a high school in, in the United States. And in this survey, he discovered, Mr. Thomas says that those in the high school do not have to bring a note from home to get abortion counseling. They do not. They do not have to bring a note from home to get contraceptives. They do not have to bring a note from home to be counseled by a guidance counselor to go to Planned Parenthood and get an abortion. They don't need a note from home. But they have to bring a note from home to get an aspirin. Does something sound a little wrong with that? That's because the sacredness of life has been devalued. Your life has value. Why? You were created in the image of God. Who would devalue life? I'll tell you who would devalue life. Satan. Why? Because you were created in the image of one that he hates. Satan hates God. So, Satan hates you. And Satan hates me. Because every time he looks at me, do you know what he sees? The image of God. So every life that he can snuff out, every life that he can exterminate, if you will, he will do it. He will do it. But we find that life has sacred value. Letter B, human life has a specific beginning. If human life is valuable, when does it begin? Does it begin at birth? Does it begin at conception? Let's see what the Bible says. Remember, where are we getting our worldview from? Let's not get it from what we hear from anyone except what God's Word says, including me. What does God's Word say? Look at Psalm 139, please. Psalm 139. We're going to see here in a couple of passages of Scripture that the Bible gives personhood to pre-born children. Psalm 139, verse 13. Human life has a specific beginning. Letter B, that's under number one. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Where was he covered? Where? In the mother's womb. Giving value to the baby in the womb, right? How about Jeremiah 1.5? Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God puts a baby in the womb of his or her mother. God says that baby has individual life. Let's see what they did in Exodus 21. Let's go back to the law for a minute here and let's see something. Exodus 21. And let's see what happened 
when someone would get in a fight and then a pregnant lady would be hurt or killed because of it. Let's see what God said. Verse 22, so Exodus 21, 22 and 23. If men strive and hurt a woman with child so that our fruit from depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall surely be punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him. And he shall pay as the judge determines. And if any mischief follow, thou shalt give life for life. They are reliable for damages to both the mother and the child. How about John the Baptist? In Luke's Luke's gospel chapter number one. John the Baptist is in Elizabeth's womb. Luke one forty one. Luke one forty one. And all of a sudden, Mary comes in. And Mary is also expecting the Savior, the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says in Luke one forty one, and it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe. I want you to zero in on that word, babe. The babe leaped in her womb. So John the Baptist is in the womb, and Mary comes in the room, and the babe leaps in the womb. So a few months passes by, and Jesus is born. And the Bible uses the same word, both in Greek and in our English translation. Follow this now to refer to Jesus outside of the womb. It was John the Baptist inside of the womb, the word babe. It was Jesus outside of the womb, also the word babe. Same translation, Greek or English, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 12. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe. That's outside of the womb. We would all say, yeah, well, that's a baby. He's outside of the womb. It's the same word, though, for the, for the babe that was in the womb of Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. Inside, outside, John, Jesus, they were both babies. They both were alive and had value. Three, or letter C. So human life has sacred value. Human life has a specific beginning. Human life has a special purpose. God formed you, meaning you have great purpose in life. Isaiah 43, 7, everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yea, I have made him. What God has given us tonight is precious. Life is precious. Again, we are made in the image of God. So, Number one, big number one, formed in God's image. Big number two, fallen in our sin. Fallen in our sin. Genesis chapter one and chapter two are about creation. Genesis chapter three, something tragic takes place. Man falls. Look at chapter three and verse three. But the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. 
The serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, she took it and did eat. Gave into her husband and he with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them were both opened and they sewed and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves aprons. We call this the fall of man. The fall of man. Now, what does this mean? What does this have to do with the value of human life? Letter A, the damage is great. The damage is great. Because on that first sin, death entered into the world. You might remember Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. The damage was great. The fall of man brought death. The fall of man brought the curse of death and the curse even in our life today. It brought disease. You know, why, why are there, and I'm not, I'm not thinking of your brother, Brother Glenn, please forgive me, but why are there people in the hospital day sick? That's not how God created humans. Adam and Eve were perfect. It was sin that brought this into our life. It was sin in my life that has brought so many things. I'm not saying because I'm a sinner, God, has got, God gave me cancer, but as a result of sin, our bodies are not infallible. So the the damage was great. You know, the destruction in our world today can be traced back to the fall of man. But does the fall of man change human life and the value of human life? No, it doesn't. Letter B, the value is protected. The value is protected. So we have God's image. We can mirror him in some of our attributes, but because of sin, what has happened? Our mirror is fractured. It's broken. You know, you, you, you've all had a piece of glass that's broken or it's cracked. Maybe your windshield has a crack in it. So the image is distorted then, right? When you look through something like that, the image is distorted. See, God's image in me has been distorted. Why? Not because of God. God's image in me is distorted because of sin. Thankfully, Jesus Christ was willing to come and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ was willing to come and die on an old rugged cross. But that's what's distorted me. Think about the the sixth commandment. What is the sixth commandment? You probably will know based on our topic tonight. Sixth commandment is thou shalt not kill. Exodus 20, verse 13. Genesis 9 and verse 6. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. So one of the ways that we see that human life in its fallen state is still valuable are these commands. Thou shalt not kill. So even after the fall, God ties the sanctity of life 
to the image of God within man. And he says, don't take another life. Why? Remember, we are made in the image of God. Hmm. Value is protected. Now, we could look tonight at science. And we could, let me just see if I missed something here. Yes. We're going to look at some scientific facts in a little bit. But my belief in the sanctity of life is not centered, my worldview is not centered on science. Right? Now, you're going to have to determine that for yourself. I'm not telling you. I'm just saying, remember, we have one lens and we have one frame that's going to keep it accurate. And it's not science. It's amazing, though, how, much, how many times science actually agrees with the Bible. But the Bible was first before science. Because the Bible is eternal. So my belief is based fundamentally on Scripture. God's Word says human life is sacred. I need no further information. Because God's Word tells me that. You'll be patient with me. I'd like to read, read an article. In an article in Salon Magazine, Mary Elizabeth Williams wrote a jarring piece titled, So What If Abortion Ends Life? In the article, Williams presents what used to be a pro-life argument that the baby in the womb has personhood, but concludes that the baby's life is more expendable than the mother's life, and for that reason should not be legally protected. She wrote, I believe that life starts at conception, and it's never stopped me from being pro-choice. Here's her reasoning. I know that throughout my own pregnancies, I never wavered for a moment in the belief that I was carrying a human life inside of me. I believe that's what a fetus is, a human life. And that doesn't make me one iota less solidly pro-choice. I have friends who have referred to their abortions in terms of scraping out a bunch of cells. And then a few years later were exultant over the pregnancies that they unhesitantly described in the terms of the baby and this kid. I know women who have been relieved at their abortions and grieved over their miscarriages. Why can't we agree that it's pretty silly to pretend that what was growing inside of them wasn't the same? When we try to act like a pregnancy doesn't involve a human life, we wind up drawing, and I'm, I'm quoting, stupid semantic lines in the sand. First trimester abortion versus second trimester versus late term, dancing around the issue, trying to decide if there's a single magic moment when a fetus becomes a person. Are you human only when you're born? Only when you're viable outside of the womb? Are you less of a human life when you look like a tadpole than when you can suck your thumb? If by some random fluke I learned today I was pregnant, you bet I'd have an abortion. I'd have the world's greatest abortion. My conviction is that the fetus is indeed a life. I can hardly read this right now, what I'm about to read. A life worth sacrificing. Wow. Very sad. How can we, how did we get to the point in our society where life is so expendable? By the, by the way, it's not just a life. 
Bible provides the answer. Go to John 3, please. John 3. John 3. I must say that God has a way of putting things together like no pastor or church could ever put things together. I do not think for a minute that it's a coincidence that God had us cover this subject on Mother's Day. In no way was it designed to be taught tonight when we started this series. I didn't even realize it until last week when I was in Niagara Falls at the conference that I would be teaching tonight on the sanctity of life and that it was going to be Mother's Day. But I believe God did that with purpose and on purpose. Here's here's the answer, John 3.19. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness. How can life be so expendable? How can somebody write an article like that, what I just read to you? Because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Because they're being controlled by the one who hates life. Satan hates life. Satan hates your life. Satan hates those children in the nursery tonight. Satan hates those sailors down there in the patch club tonight. Satan hates the teenagers. Satan hates everyone here tonight. Why? Because you have the image of God on you. And even though it's distorted because of sin, God still loves you tonight. And God still loves me tonight. Yes, he sees us. as If we're saved, he sees the righteousness of his son. And so Satan even hates that even more. He's all about destruction. Nothing about Satan is light. It's all dark. The Bible says God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. But the human heart without Jesus is depraved. The human heart is willing to make self-centered choices, even if it means taking another life. How is it that someone can just roll up in a car and roll down the window and point a gun at someone and go bang, 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 and they're gone? How is it someone can do that? Well, they had it coming to them. I'll tell you how someone can do that because... Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's not God's original plan. God created Adam and Eve. They sinned and fell, left the garden. Cain and Abel were born. Guess what? It didn't take long, did it? Didn't take long, did it? Cain said, I hate you, Abel. God loves you more than me. I'm going to kill you. And right there, right there. The first family. Murder. The issue of the sanctity of life is a spiritual issue, not a political issue. This is not about politics. This is about God's word. This is about God's word. 
We must, as children of God, stand for life. It doesn't matter what party you align with in politics. I'm praying that we all align with this book when it comes to life. The Bible is clear on it. My feelings, culture's perceptions, these are not reliable gauges. God's Word is. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 is, has been studied earlier in this series, the chapter of Romans 1. If you look at verse 25, here's a key to what we're talking about. In fact, I would say that it is the trademark of our society. Possibly it has been in every generation, but it just seems like it's really becoming an in-your-face trademark. Romans 1.25, who changed the truth of God into a what? Lie. And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Here it is. Transforming God's truth into lies. I have, I have, uh, there's nothing, I have no authority to take this book and rewrite it. This is not my book. I didn't write the Word of God. This is not the Baptist book. This is God's Word. I have no right to change it. I have no right to change the truth of God into a lie. Genesis 4.8 is where Cain talked with Abel and life, human life, was devalued so quickly. Why is there confusion today in areas where God has given clarity? By the way, I pray that as a follower of Jesus Christ, there's no confusion. God makes it clear. Every life is sanctified. And every life has value. But why is it? It's because the truth has been changed into a lie. 22% of pregnancies, some of these statistics are in the United States but I think they would be applicable to us here. 22% of pregnancies end in abortion. 1.3 million babies are aborted every year in the United States. 1.3 million. That's as many Americans that were killed in the Revolutionary, Civil, World War I, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam, Persian Gulf War, Iraq, and Afghan wars all combined. And that's every year. Romans 1, 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, full of murder, verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. In January of 2019, the governor of New York directed one of the spires of the World Trade Center to be lit up in pink in celebration of the Reproductive Health Act, a bill that expanded abortion rights and decriminalized the practice. Supporters were chanting, free abortion on demand, we can do it, yes we can. This kind of rally around death is reminiscent of the heathen acts of worship in the Old Testament as the Canaanites offered their children on the altars of the god Molech. 
You see, honestly, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? It just repeats itself. Change the name of the God from Molech to convenience. And I'm not sure we can miss the similarities between the two. How, how could somebody take their baby and offer it on to, to Molech? I submit to you, how could someone do the same to their babe that is in their womb? Again, I started off this whole lesson by saying that we, we want to understand the truth, speak the truth. You also want to speak it in love. There might be someone here tonight. There might be someone online tonight that's had an abortion. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to, to, to push you down in any way. But what, I ha- what, I am, what I am here to do tonight by the word of the Lord is to say that every life has value. Those that are pushing the abortion agenda are those who have already been born. Think about that. Much more I could read, but let's get to number three. So number one, formed in God's image. Number two, fallen in our sin. Number three, response to issues of life. How do we respond? Well, the Bible says that the church is the pillar and ground of the what? Truth. 1 Timothy 3.15. The Bible says in the great Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, that Christians are to be salt and light. Matthew 5, 13 and 14. That is how we're supposed to respond. Christians longer than you or longer than me have stood and upheld the biblical truth regarding the sanctity of life. Letter A, this is how we respond. Letter A, number one, respond with clarity. Clarity. One of the tactics of our enemy is to add confusion where there should be clarity. He used this in the Garden of Eden when he questioned what God had really said. Eve knew what God had said, but Satan brought confusion to her mind. Clarity. The clearest demarcation of life's beginning is conception. Let me quickly give you several things in regards to this. Number one, Scripture agrees with that. Scripture and science. We're going to give you something here. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. How does science agree with this? Day one. I expect you to write all this down, but maybe just think about it, okay? Day one. On the day of conception, all 46 chromosomes are present. So a human life has already begun. This is a unique human being with a unique genetic makeup who can never be reproduced or replaced. That's on day one. 
three weeks. Child's heart has begun to beat. Think of this. Three weeks, the heart has begun to beat, pumping blood on its own. Often a different blood type from the mother. But there's no God, right? Five weeks, the child's eyes and legs and hands begin to develop. Six weeks, the child's brain waves, which have already been active for some time, are now detectable. Six weeks from conception. Seven weeks, the baby starts kicking and swimming. Every organ in the body is in place. The bones are taking shape. Fingerprints have already begun to form. That's seven weeks. Ten weeks, the baby's teeth have formed. Fingernails have developed. The baby can turn her head and frown. I'm not sure why frown. How about smile, right? (laughs) Get me out of here, you know, ten weeks. Not time to get out of there yet. Three months, the baby can grasp objects, oftentimes grasping the umbilical cord. Four months, the baby can start having dreams during remedial sleep. Hmm. That's what science says. Okay? That's not Genesis, you know, Genesis chapter 52. By the way, there's only 50 chapters in Genesis. Just check. That's what science tells us. But it agrees with the Bible that My mother conceived me. I was already a person. Human conscience even agrees with this. Research shows that 84% of mothers decide not to have an abortion after seeing an ultrasound. You know what that is? That's the conscience. You see that on the screen? 84%. Consider Amy's story as shared by the pro-life group Save the Storks. At 21 years old, she, w- she found herself pregnant with her mind set on an abortion. But in order to obtain an abortion, she had to get an ultrasound. She saw that her local pregnancy resource center was offering free ultrasounds. She had an abortion several years before this and felt that abortion was her best option. She told the cl- cl- uh, client advocate that she still wanted to live life and wasn't ready financially for a child. They spoke for a long time discussing her options, what she wanted to do, and whether or not she had support from anyone in her life. No one did this with me when I had my abortion before, Amy said. I never saw that ultrasound or even knew how far along I was. They just told me I was early. As soon as Amy saw the screen, she sat up on the exam table. That's a life, she said. I can't believe at seven weeks a baby would have a heartbeat. She stared in amazement at the image on the screen and said, this changes everything. Conscience. Conscience agrees. Where did that come from? It came from God. Even the abortion industry agrees. It's the primary goal of the abortion industry to conceal the reality of their work and thus downplay or outright deny the humanity of the babies they kill. One journalist 
David Daladin discovered that Planned Parenthood routinely alters the method of performing an abortion in order to obtain the baby's organs, which are then sold for research. And I'm not going to read this whole article because it's pretty detailed. Planned Parenthood, by the way, didn't like his exposure. They called him an activist and extremist, claimed that he deceptively edited and uncovered the videos. By the way, a claim that has been thoroughly debunked, meaning he did not edit the videos. If life begins at conception, abortion is murder. But if life does not begin at conception, why does the abortion industry try so hard to keep mothers from seeing an ultrasound? Or seeing their baby as humans? Letter B. Respond with clarity. Respond with conviction. God is not indecisive on how he addresses murder. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17. A proud look, lying tongue, and then what? What are these? These are hands. Hands that shed innocent blood. God says he hates it. There can be no more innocent blood than that of an unborn baby. Jesus said, I will lay down my life for you. An uh, abortion is a mother saying to her baby, "You you will lay down your life for me. It's completely opposite of the gospel. Some might say, what about in cases of rape or incest? What do you do about that? They account for only, and I'm not saying this is insignificant, but they, the study, the statistics tell us that they account for 1% of abortions. 1%. It's worth pointing out that most people who pose that question are not willing to treat the other 99% of abortions any differently. They are asking a tough question to push pro-life advocates into surrendering their position. The reality is that the point is not how the child was conceived, but that a child was conceived. I learned this a long time ago. Two wrongs do not make a right. Is rape and incest right? Yes or no? Of course not. So by killing the baby that's in the child, that's going to help the rape or the incest? By killing the baby that's in the mother, that's going to that's gonna help the matter? The morality of the abortion does not change based on the need. Catch that? The morality of the abortion does not change based on the need. Abortion will not take away the trauma of someone going through. I'm not, I'm not belittling rape or incest at all. 
But an abortion is not going to take away that trauma. In fact, I would say it compounds it. Further hurting the new mother. And now we have a second victim. The child. Terrible sins are rape and incest. But abortion punishes the innocent parties. The mother by the trauma of an abortion and the baby by death. Too many Christians are silent in spite of the biblical, clearly laid out biblical authority with regards to abortion. God's word is not going to set well with everyone. Sometimes it doesn't set well with me. You know why? Because it reveals me. And when I see me for who I really am, ooh, that's no good. That's a, it's good that the Bible is a mirror. It changes us. The Bible says in James 4.17, Therefore, the him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. Lastly, clarity, conviction, compassion. Compassion. Compassion is what helps us convert our care to real action steps. How can we respond to this idea and the growing concern of abortion? Number one, I'm trying to go as quickly as I can. I know we're late, later than normal, but I think it's important. Number one, we can pray, and I'm, I'm going quick. I've, I've cut out probably 20%. We can pray. Pray for mothers that might be struggling with choices about their unborn children. Pray for churches and Christian counselors who interact with mothers making these choices. You remember our own Carolyn Sharp, Missionary in Liberia, one of her main ministries was a pregnancy center. For what? For this very thing. Counseling single Liberian ladies who were expecting babies, counseling them to keep the baby. We can pray for lawmakers to understand what is at stake as they consider legislation in these areas. Number two, we can speak. We can speak. Speak out for the needs of pregnant women and single moms. Participate in helping them through the challenging times when they need a friend. We can foster and adopt. You want, you want to hear something interesting? Adoptions cost $8,000 to $40,000. An abortion costs 500 bucks. You, you, you understand how much of this world only thinks about money? It's sad, isn't it? The bottom line, how much does it cost? Well, I'm so glad God did not look at me and think, bottom line, how much does it cost to save a sinner like Ben Turner? I'm glad he willingly allowed Jesus Christ to pay the ultimate sacrifice. We started this lesson pointing out that life is formed by God. Humanity has fallen, but... We can be forgiven. It's not just the abortionist or the mother who has chosen abortion who stands in need of God's forgiveness. Every one of us here tonight 
We need God's forgiveness. I'm thankful that God is willing to save everyone. God is willing to forgive everyone. As we leave here tonight, may we leave here with a renewed understanding of the sanctity of life. You have one life. Use it for the glory of God. Use it to honor God. And realize your life has value because you were made in the end.